NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hello, friends. Uh, guess what? Punk Sutani, our woodchuck friend, predicted a longer winter. And March, though, came in as a lion and is going out like a lamb. Of course, that's here in the Northeast um, in Connecticut. And the peepers are singing their frogalicious songs tonight in love and anticipation of April showers and May flowers. So regardless of where you are, however, I'm hoping that a bit of spring has sprung in your step and optimism and hope are somewhere near your horizon. We're thrilled tonight to have two incredible human beings with us at the National Writing Project as we continue the celebration of writers, of children's and young adult literature, and the possibilities their books have for our classrooms. Hey, Tanya, the sun shining out west right now. Well, you know, as a Maine girl transplanted to California, I think the sun's shining here all the time. It's gorgeous. <laughs> More importantly, when this airs, it will be Poetry Month, and that is the thing I'm totally looking forward to and thrilled that we can kick it off with a conversation with Ann Berg about her newest novel written in verse. I'm really excited. I know you told me that our friend Kwame introduced you to Ann's work and we talked to Kwame last month about becoming Muhammad Ali. And then you reminded me that's how we knew Ann. And it was perfect that she would be our author featured for April. So we're so excited. It all, it all started with this book right here, All the Broken Pieces, which, um, was written in and published, I should say, uh, and now I'm scanning for the date. It was 2012, so it was right on the cusp of after I finished my doctorate, so I missed it. And when I, I read it, you know, I was like, how is everyone in the United States, any school, why are they not teaching it absolutely everywhere? Um, and so I wrote something on my my blog, and it was it was so interesting because all of a sudden I I got um, this email from a friend of my, uh, from from, from Anne's sister Rosemary <laughs> who said I read your blog. I'm going to share with my sister. Is that okay? And I was like, um, okay. And Rosemary Murata, she has this incredible best book blogger site, uh, so you can kind of like see all the great books that she reads. And then we connected because of Twitter. And the next thing I know, this book flooded is in my mailbox uh autographed right and then i read it and i was i, I was just enthralled and then i thought she sent me the wrong book because of the way the story reveals itself but i'm not going to give that away <laughs> and so um i i, I want to give it away but i'm not going to um and so now i i'm here saying that you know flooded requiem for johnstown is a ding 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 Awesome, awesome, awesome winner of a book. And I am so glad that we have her, her here on the right time. Um, and so I'm going to introduce her as Anne Eberg, worked as an English teacher for many years before becoming a full-time writer. Flooded Requiem for Johnstown is her fourth verse novel published by Scholastic Press. Her books, which included Unbound, Seraphina's Promise, and All the Broken Pieces, have received numerous awards and commendations, including most recently, the Bank Street College Claudia Lewis Award. Mm -hmm. Anne is drawn to stories of the disenfranchised and voiceless and finds inspiration in little known or too forgotten historical incidences. As a former teacher, Anne continues to be interested in the challenges children and young adults face and endeavors to engage readers in stories which will broaden their worldview and prepare them for a global society. And they're done in verse. Okay. <laughs> Over to you, Tan. 
Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Amy. Amy, I didn't ask you how to pronounce your last name or your school name. So Amy Bouch. It is tough. So it's actually bouched, like rhymes with pouch. <laughs> Thank you. I should mm -hmm. just have you introduce yourself. I'm sorry, Amy. Amy no Bouch is a reading obsessed eighth grade English teacher at Char Chartier's Valley. Chartier's Valley Middle School near Pittsburgh. We got so excited talking. I forgot to ask you these questions. <laughs> She's a Western Pennsylvania writing project teacher leader and the vice president of the Western Pennsylvania Council of Teachers of English. Amy's favorite part of teaching is inspiring and fostering a love of reading and writing in her students. She gets over the top excited when pairing students with books they love and encouraging students to share their writing with wider audiences. Amy enjoys reading and writing beside her students any chance she gets. When she isn't teaching, she's making her way through all of the US national parks and traveling the world with her husband. That and a special shout out, special shout out to University of Pittsburgh because everything is pointing that way to Johnstown in Pittsburgh. Uh, Dr. Valerie Kinlock is going is the incoming president of NCTE, and you have Laura Rupel leading one of the strongest writing project sites out there. So we are so excited to have you here today to interview and talk with one another. So we're going to hand it over to you to do the right first writing prompt. Okay, so for this uh, first prompt, this really connects to you know, the introduction of Anne Eberg, but she is so inspiring. I mean, and you are so inspiring uh, in the way that you bring little told stories to a wider audience. Um, so that inspired me uh, to think that we should write about what are some stories that you think need told. So consider stories about yourself, your dreams, your culture, your history, and more. I love that prompt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I'm so glad. <laughs> That's a great place for you two to start your interview. So I'll stop sharing my screen and leave you to it. So then, um, you know, a, a question to jump off from that prompt. Um, so in the acknowledgments of your book, you mentioned how uh, the idea um, and research process started uh, whenever you did a workshop in historical fiction at Shippensburg University, where you said your brother works and you wanted to do something local to that location. Um, so how do you, in general, for all of your books, um, decide which stories to tell? Well, it's interesting because you, because um, first it was my brother-in-law who works at Shippensburg. Oh, but, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, this is the first story that came about that way that came in an intentional i'm looking for a little note li literally looking for a little known incident that will appeal to a local audience because most of the time my stories um they may start with an idea i have uh, all the broken pieces which was my first first novel i thought i was just going to write a story about brothers and so um and then i came across a quote that moved me about the um the Amerasian children and so then the, the whole story shifted so um, most often i'm i read something that i think is fascinating and i think well if you think it's fascinating maybe other people would find it fascinating too and so um i as it, as, as was introduced, I was a teacher. And I, I guess I never really got out of that because, because I think to myself, oh, if I, was in, if I were teaching still, I would love to tell my students this. I would love to ask them, what do they think about this? So um, I think that's what helps me to, to narrow in on something that if it's something that I have that uh, yearning to teach or that yearning to, 
to remember what it was like to be in a classroom and go in and say, guess what I read or, or what I discovered. Um, then I think it's a story worth telling um, or, or worth exploring. So, and with flooded, it was it was different because I was actually looking for something to, for students that I didn't know, um, but it, but then I followed the same process. Yeah, I love that you said that if it's something that interests you, you think you know that other people that it would interest them too, because it does and it has. Um, so, you know, the other day, my husband and I were actually we listened to your book, All the Broken Pieces, as we were driving out to Johnstown to go visit the flood museum. And, you know, we were just like, wow, like just thinking about those concepts and, you know, discussing them and, you know, why it isn't taught in schools today and right. you know, mentioned more often. So um, I do love that you bring, you know, those topics and those pieces that we can pull into our classroom and uh, have those discussions. Yeah, and that's 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 rewarding for me to hear too, because I because I because I I guess you never stop you know care you never stop caring about the kids you taught taught. And so I feel like I still have some sort of a connection. Mm -hmm. Yes, you definitely do. And we all appreciate that. So we can use your books in our classes. Thank you. Um, so then after you do decide on the story to tell whether it, you know, comes to you, like you said, organically, like it comes up, what's your overall process for then researching the book? Well, um, um, we're going to, we'll use flooded as an example. So I decided, I read, I was like, really, there was this, there was this big flood and I never heard about it. And all of this happened and Carnegie was involved. You know, it, there was just a lot of a lot of um, things that should have connected this to the curriculum, and so um, then I just start reading and reading and reading everything that I that I can about it. And so there were some major books that that helped in the research here. Um, and and I'm we are so blessed in this age of the internet that that um, books that were written in 1800 I can find. Um, it, it, it online and read online. So I do a lot of reading. This was kind of a hard because I couldn't, because as I was reading, these were real people and that I wanted to honor. And that even when I'm writing historical fiction, I'm creating the character. I'm, I'm historical fiction usually is the surrounding, um, the, the surrounding environment, the, the fiction, the historical fiction part comes in, but the characters are my own in all the broken pieces. Matt is my own character and in, um, in Serafina's Promise, Grace is my own character. But in here, in this book, um, there were real people who were lost and forgotten. And that, that made me not want to make it all up. So I, I, I did a lot more research for this book than I, than I would have imagined. I mean, I went to ancestry.com and I looked up people's names and, and I found out when Joe Dixon actually enrolled, um, got his papers to work in World War I. And I mean, I really, I was connected with these people. And even though I was making up their story, I wanted to also honor them. But I think I guess um, I tell you that I ramble a bit. I guess the real answer to your question is that I do, I do a lot of research, a lot of reading and taking like notes, um, not like organized notes on note cards, but just kind of like notes of like a name that I like or, 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 or a certain incident that, that seems important. And, um, and that's pretty much how I start and then certain characters will pop up 
and then I'll want to know more about them. So then that perfectly leads to my next question, because I was, you know, wondering about the characters and how you decided to tell this specific book um, through these several different characters and how you decided like which character told which part of the history of the story. Well, it actually, my original vision for this story was a kind of um, um, Spoon River anthology where I would tell this, I was so moved by the town and then the town I wanted to tell the town story. So um, I was going to just have a, like Spoon River anthologies, just people giving their soliloquies. And I wanted together for them to create the town. Mm. But um, I was talked it over with my editor and I had written, a, I'd already written a whole bunch of poems. And we, and we decided that for kids, they they that wouldn't mean as much that they would need to really, I'd be able to identify with the characters. And so I needed to choose um, choose from a vast array of characters. Um, and if I could just backtrack a little bit, what I did was take the names of um, take the names of people, real people. There's a list of um, the victims, and there's also there were also directories. Um, to take those names and then I cross-reference them with people who did who were never found. So that kind of narrowed the list. The, the list of there were so many people, and then these were people that were never found. Um, and then I kind of created a story around those people. But the first family was the fate was a Fagan family, was Matt and his family, because I read. I, I, as I told you, I, I did a lot of background information and I checked, you know, um, shipping. I wanted to know when they came over since they were immigrants and how long they had been there. And it's interesting because on the list of the people who were missing and the people who had businesses in, in Johnstown, there's a Patrick Fagan, but there's no Matt Fagan. I looked all over for Patrick, and there, there's no record of Patrick Fagan. And then I started thinking, well, you know, how people give you like nicknames, just, just, mm -hmm. you know, oh, here's an Irish guy came over from Ireland. His name is Patrick. I don't know, but I couldn't. There, there was no Patrick. So, but there was a Matt Fagan, and a Matt Fagan who had five children, who had a family of five, and. When I looked him up, this Matt Fagan, who may or may not be the Johnstown Fagan, um, he came over when he came out. He was born, according to the ancestry records, a, a child was born. That's the only Matt Fagan I could find. Was that a child was born on a ship coming over from Ireland, and then it just kind of, it just kind of broke my heart that people, I, get, I even still now get emotional that people. Um, sacrifice everything to come here to build a life and um i was just so moved that 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 i wanted i wanted their family story to be told because that entire family was burnt was um was lost and for, for many of the you know many of the families somebody died here somebody died there but that was an entire family that perished and so um i started with the fagan with with matt's family with Daniel. And, um, and then of course, I wanted Daniel to have friends. And so then from there, I pieced it around. And that's how I kind of decided which how the story was going to be um, told. 
So you mentioned the idea of, you know, it, it being heartbreaking, which it so very much is. Um, what, as I was reading the book, I, I knew the flood was coming because I, you know, knew generally about, you know, the Johnstown flood. So as I was reading, and there was this point in the book where I, I just stopped reading and I looked at my husband and I was like, oh no, like it's coming. Like, it's happening, like it's about to flood. And just my heart broke knowing that these characters that I was getting to know and love that, that you know, they were, this tragic event was coming to them. Like, I'm just getting chills right now thinking about it because I just, you know, knew it was coming. And it was just, huh, whenever I mentioned that to some of my students today, this one boy, he was like, that's a type of, you know, irony. Like you knew it, but the readers didn't. And I was like, yes, like, oh, you're connecting that. Is, that is wonderful. Um, yes, yes, it was. Um, so that, you know, that was great. But yes, yeah, so the, the flood then, one of the characters is the river, is the water. So how did you decide to, to you know, make that a character in that book and give that a voice? Well, it was, it was, because I knew that I was going to lose some characters and um, I, but not all, you know, obviously not, not everyone, but I, I also, I wanted, I wanted a voice that would be forever. I wanted a voice that would tell a story, not just Johnstown is not just the flood. And, and even before I, after I realized I was writing the book, I, I did more research on just like, what was, what was Johnstown like before it was an industrial city, before they were making steel. And it was a quiet, you know, quiet town. And, and, and it just seems, and as I read about it, um, as, as the flood tells, people came and then they started to misuse me and started to, and I thought, well, the flood, she, she should have her voice. There, there is a voice there that, that it's not just, we aren't just people on this planet, that this planet is here and, and we come and we hope to bring good to it. Um, so I felt that she needed to tell her story too, that it isn't just the story of Johnstown and isn't just the story of the people who failed or the people who didn't. It is also the story of our world, of our earth. Um, so it, just, it was a, kind of a natural thing. I knew the flood was going to um, take a, take a, be a person. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you were able to share that kind of your, your back thinking and wanting to bring, you know, more of the world into it instead of just us as human beings. And I am definitely going to share that with my students <laughs> next week when I see them in person again. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, as far as other characters, um, Willie, um, oh. right, he, he is amazing and his, I love whenever authors, you know, have a character who's a writer and really show their progression as a writer. Um, so he goes, you know, through being like, I don't know if I can write this poem, like I like poetry, it means a lot and, you know, my teacher believes in me, but I'm not sure if I believe in myself. And then, you know, he eventually does believe in himself and he creates such a that beautiful poem at, you know, Decoration Day. And um, I guess I don't want to say any more for anyone who hasn't read it yet to spoil it. Um, but how, how did you come up with Willie's story and his experience? Well, as I was making, you know, so Daniel was my first, you know, he was a friend. He was my first character and he, and he was, he needed friends. And, and um, so... I, I feel that like we, we kind of make, we, well, when I think of my own friends and my own life, we're not all the same. And, and 
And I think sometimes we think that, you know, if we're, if we're athletic or outdoorsy, then our friends need to be athletic and outdoorsy. But, you know, that, that isn't always how people fit in. And I wanted to kind of model that there t it, t it takes all kinds of people to become all kinds of friends. And so there's these three boys living supposedly the same life, all of their fathers, according to the directory that I that I've even researched, all of those fathers worked at the mill, um, worked at the mill, but the, the kids, the kids didn't have to be, they're not cookie cutter, like just because their life is the same. Um, so I wanted to have a, a, ch a child who who saw the world in a different way and I wanted to show that um, and I hope that I show that looking at the world a different way didn't make him less of a friend or different or or because you because you like frogs more than you like poetry doesn't mean you can't be friends with someone who likes poetry so um, I, so that's kind of where Willie came from that is beautiful and perfect and wonderful for middle schoolers. <laughs> so that is, that's amazing. Again, just, you know, a wonderful tidbit to be able to share that that's so true that we can all be different people, but we need to, you know, come together and we can still be friends. And each person is kind of a, a little piece of the, the greater society, the greater good, I guess. Yes. And, and they all can, they, they can learn from each other and can appreciate what they have to offer because because Willie saw Daniel for what he was and Daniel you know and and I think that that's sometimes maybe in middle school um more than other places um you need to have permission to be friends with, to be friends with people that are outside or different from you in in, in a way so um and it doesn't have to be that way you know and um that's pretty much where though that that clutch came from yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so another character that I'm really curious about. Um, so Joe Dixon, um, and you mentioned him, and I can't remember now if it was our in our little mini pre-conversation or during this recording, um, but um, he changes drastically from the beginning to the end and kind of his outlook um, on life and on people, uh, where, you know, in the beginning, he very much looks up to Carnegie and wants to be just like him. And then kind of at the end, again, without giving too much away, he kind of changes his mind about that. Right. Um, so was, I guess, what was your purpose for this? And then I have some follow-up questions depending. I didn't really, I, 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 I created, I think sometimes when you're writing, things evolve. Like I'm not, I, I just saw something about the kind, what kind of writer are you? Are you like, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? And a pantser is flying by the seat of your pants, which is pretty much <laughs> pretty much the way I write. So um, it kind of evolved that way because I think that when we're young, we have these heroes that we want to be just like, and, and these are the things we want. And I think that, that life happens to us and we make discoveries, um, not just about the people that we admire, but also about ourselves. And so it seemed for Joe, it just seemed a natural progression. Um, he always was, um, he always was a good person, a decent person. He was trying to do the right thing at all times. And, and for, from, um, from a historical perspective, let me say that Joe Dixon, there really was a 15-year-old Joe Dixon who saved his money to become, um, to have a newsstand. His newsstand truly did blow away 
um, in the in the flood and people collected money to to have for him again. I mean, I, he didn't go on to be a publisher. I think he would, became a candy maker or something. And I even came across his um, World War One uh, draft, his World War One uh, army co uh, card, whatever registration wow. card. But um, so, but but in my world that I created for him, um, I wanted his his goodness to 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 show and to be revealed to him as well, for him to understand it as well. And again, I think that when when you're working with with um, young people, there has there have to be options. There have to be it's what you start as and what you see doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, it may not be what you discover about yourself later. So I always feel like you have to give options. Um, of course, I wanted to be a writer since I'm four, so I know. <laughs> so so there, there goes that idea. So then speaking of you wanting to be a writer and you've kind of touched on bits and pieces of your writing process, uh, like what was that phrase you used again? The something oh, about- pan, Flying by the sea, panzer. Panzer, yes, yeah. yes. Um, I love that phrase um, <laughs> because I, I imagine that's a bit of me as well, just kind of, you know, running with it. Right, <laughs> right. with it. Um, so could you share a little bit more about your uh, writing process? Because from watching these, um, you know, write time episodes, I've learned that uh, Nick Stone doesn't like revising, but Lori Hulse Anderson loves it. So kind of where do you fall in that and with the writing process in general? I think that I fall, I'm probably, I'm a, I love to rewrite because there's always an anxiety when, for me, I'm not, not for everyone else. And perhaps if I wasn't a pantser, I wouldn't have this anxiety. But for me, there's this anxiety because I, um, I, I, fall, I fall in love with these characters. I love them. And then what? Where are they going to go? What's going to happen? So I don't ever know that there really is a story. And, and I often say, or I often think, um, if someone asks me a question, so did you just did, that I'm really not a great storyteller. Like what, what I, what, what I, what I, I don't think of myself as a storyteller, like as someone who, ha I think of myself more like, um, uh, more like, um, I know this is, this sounds silly, but, um, you know, like in, um, The Giver, you know, that book, The Giver, right? Uh -huh. You know yeah. how he just absorbs stuff and feel, The Giver is, absorbs stuff and feelings and stuff. I feel sometimes that that's what I am, that I just absorb things and feel things. And then I have to find a story to wrap those feelings around, that the story never comes first to me. Like, let me put a bunch of people in the flood and see what happens. That what comes first to me is a feeling. And so, um, so how did I get off track with whatever question, whatever you asked? You're about? on track. It's just about your writing process. So this so, is just really interesting and insightful and kind of different than what I've heard from authors in the past. So this yeah, is well, wonderful. Keep going. <laughs> well, so I have these ideas. So I have these feelings and then I have these, um, and, and then I find characters that I develop that I that I put in situations and then I hope that I come up with this I hope that we evolve together the characters in me that that end up staying with me like little ghosts in my head and I hope that we can come up with some kind of something to say that story and 
that's the most nerve wracking part, a beginning, a middle and an end, a beginning and a climax and an end, you know, that part is nerve wracking. So the rewriting part, oh my gosh, that is wonderful. That means, oh, I do make sense here. I can <laughs> say something here. Oh, and I can add this and this is a curse to me. So, so I kind of try to um, write as much as I can get the story down to see that there is kind of a story and then go back and fill in the holes and see what, where it could be more interesting or where it's boring and not interesting. That is really interesting. <laughs> thank you. There's a lot of rewriting, a lot of rewriting for me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so then a follow-up question to that. So you mentioned about those, those words and how you feel them and how you just like to get them out on the page. So some of the you know words and phrases in Flooded as well as your other books, they just, they hit really deep down. Like you just, you feel them whenever you are reading them. Um, so are those then like those first draft gems or are they more like you revise them and take your time with them um, for those? A lot of times they're the, for, a lot of times they're the first, first draft stuff. Like the most of the, the after the first draft stuff is mostly trying to make it to, to kind of like, um, so I have all these feelings and these, things and then I try to somehow stitch them together or weave them together so so um I most of the the, the the really emotional stuff is probably in the first draft and then the, then as I say then I find the threads that might weave them together um and th this was one thing that I learned when I was um when I first wrote all the broken pieces was that I always used to think that writers and maybe because this is the way I work, but not necessarily how other people work. Um, I always used to think that writers told stories and wrote stories, but really for me, writing is like listening, is listening and hearing and understanding how other people and other feelings come together. So I never really thought of it that way. And so I don't feel so much like, like I always thought that, you know, I don't know how I'm, if I'm explaining this well or how I can explain this, but you know, like one, when I was when I was a teacher, somebody, one of the students has said, you know, like writers can do anything. They can make you die. They can make you live. They can, and you know, so they, you, I think that it's a ter terrific power that you have as a writer. You can make people live and you can make people die, but really you can't because you're, you're, you are, you're somehow stitched into another heart. And so you, you, there's a story that they, I'm telling not my own story, but their story. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But for me, I'm not as much in, I'm not as much in control. Like I feel that I'm, the story goes a certain way and I can help guard it along, but I don't, you know, I try not to force things. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like you, you find out, who your characters are, and then right. it's your responsibility then to share their story with the rest of us. Right, and then they, yeah. then I, then I listen to them to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, for, through my research, what I, I mean, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really make it up. <laughs> right, I, I really don't make stuff. I do. <laughs> Yeah, like you, you, you know, put it within the historical context and use your research, but you tell their story and make it beautiful for the rest of us to take in. Well, I like to think that that um, part of what motivates me is um, you read, you'll read that like 
a hundred people died or a thousand people died or two thousand people and we know those are just like check marks you know that means to me i guess because i'm so anti-math that i i feel like i need to take it apart i need to break that number up and take it to its lowest common denominator mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes any sense but it does it does make it more my final questions here um to wrap up so um what inspired you to write novels in verse and kind of your progression from, I noticed that you wrote children's books and then now you're kind of in the middle grade verse novels. And then with that in mind, do you have any upcoming projects or books that we can look forward to? Well, I, I'm actually working on, I'm actually working on two things right now. Well, one I just submitted to an editor and that's a World War One piece. I don't know if that will go anywhere. And I'm, and I'm playing around with something else that it's too soon to tell, um, mm. tell. but um, I didn't always write in verse. And um, it's just another uh, another uh, unknown fact that all the broken pieces um, was never meant to be in verse. And actually, an editor turned it down when I did. I wrote it in verse because it was my most direct um, content line to the to the character. I find that when you write in verse, then you're really talking like that person you're feeling that person so um it, like in in all the broken pieces begins my name is matt pin i that was him sitting on my shoulder i felt like you know this is how i can tell it but then i had an editor tell me um ask me if i would rewrite it as a more traditional novel which i did and i rewrote the whole thing and it, it really it didn't turn out as well because I was adding a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't important, like the way the clock's ticking and the, all these other things. So I guess verse was like a natural progression for me when I realized that if I really want to get into a character, um, this allows me the greatest freedom. That makes sense. It's like, you know, cutting into the point, like just right. take it exactly to all of those feelings and just, you know, all of that, all of that good stuff. So we, throughout all this, Tanya and I are, are texting each other and, and um, usually Tanya is the one who's like, Brian, I'm crying, I'm crying. Oh. And I, I actually, I just adore your writing. It is so profound like and on a high, a higher level of soul work that I've never experienced mm -hmm. before. Maybe it's the cacophony of voices and I like hearing the melodies of different voices and you're a pro at that. And I also think about the musicality of your writing. And I, I've told you this before that I could see this performed musically because the voices are so sincere. The other thing, my other comment, I, like my, I have, this is my writing note, an envelope. I'm like taking notes of like what I wanna say. The other thing that I think is so amazing is I really think superintendents, principals, department heads should pick up this book and promote it as an interdisciplinary read. Mm -hmm. And I, you said you had the number fear, but there's so many numbers that are involved in this story. Um, one of one of it being how does how does capitalism work, and how are communities how are the haves versus the have-nots decided? Um, you know, because you talk to my graduate students, the history teachers are dumbfounded in my area because they've never heard of the story. And they are, are, they are so pumped. They've ordered it for their schools next year. They want the English teachers to read it with them. And then I think if I was a science teacher, especially an environmental science teacher, this would be the book of the next year because it is an environmental tragedy. Um, it is a man-made tragedy. 
And that's why we're using it with a National Park um, Services grant next year at Weir Farm because it is the greatest way to connect conversation from beautiful stories. That's my little soapbox. I talked a little bit longer than I normally do, but I, I'm serious. This, I mean, National Writing Project audience, NCT, anybody who <laughs> listens to this, I'm telling you, get get flooded and get all the broken well, thank pieces. You. My, thank my, you. Woo, woo, woo. Okay. Uh, Tanya. Well, I'm glad Brian went first because he's right. I am the first crier always. And I was listening and thinking, I'm not going to be able to close this show because I'm going to be crying and I'll be, I won't be able to like get the sentences out. But um, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Amy, for your great questions. And I want to thank you, Anne, for such thoughtful responses. I feel like this is a new voice about what it means to be a writer that we haven't really heard on this show before and this idea of writing as listening is so powerful to me and I I tell people all the time about how auditory reading is for me and how people talk about say to kids you have to have a picture in your mind but I almost never have a picture in my mind but I can hear the characters in such a way that I even tend to dream in the syntax of the book that I am currently reading so like this the the sounds of language and and really capturing the way characters really sound and feel is, is for me as a reader, a really important trait of a book. And that's one of the things that really moved me about this book. I also want to say that um, because it's almost poetry month, that um, in the spring, it feels to me it's time to think about E.E. E. Cummings. And your when you talked about <laughs> being led by feelings, I was like, I'm never going to hear the poem since feeling is first without thinking of you. I will always yes, think yes. of you now wow, when I you. hear that poem. <laughs> so um, I, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank um, you for inviting me here. Amy, you're wonderful. Thank you. Your oh, thank you great. for your thoughtful answers. I'm so excited to share them with my students. I already have a student who uh, I told him I'd give him this book next time I see him in person because he was asking me about it. And then I asked him if his dad, like, because um, he, he said his dad told him about it, like the Johnstown flood. And then I said, like, is, did he grow up here, like in our area in Pittsburgh? And he's like, he grew up in Johnstown. Oh, and I was oh, like, oh my wow. goodness, like, let's have this conversation. So we, we kind of stopped what we were doing. He, you know, he was working on writing, but we just kind of paused for a moment so that we could, you know, discuss it. And I told him about all of the details and that you included about the history. So yes, oh, wonderful. Really, wonderful. really exciting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know we're that talking is beyond. Perfect, actually, Amy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm like, it's perfect though, because if, if Amy's writing out question, if, if you're mm -hmm. a teacher or you're a student who's watching this, it's a great time to think about another question that Amy has for us to think about in our in our writer's notebook or or even to begin our own novels in verse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she got the, is that question up? Sometimes the, the screen doesn't come oh, up. Oh, I know it didn't come up again. I don't know what's happening. Amy, do you have the question memorized? I do. I don't have it memorized, <laughs> but I do have uh, the document up. Uh, so one of the many, many takeaways um, from this book is the importance of humans caring about other humans. So consider what you can do to share your care with the world. So how are you or how can you foster empathy and equity? The perfect question. Wow, she's good. She's good. <laughs> Isn't thank she? you. That's such Both a compliment. Good. So thank you. 
for listeners, here it is. And for people who are watching the webinar, here it is finally. Uh, thank you, Amy, that's great. Um, I realize I'm talking more than I can, but I have one more question. I, if you have time for one more question, Anne, that I feel if people pick up this book, they might also wanna know. So I would like to take the opportunity to ask. And I thought of it when Amy held the book up. Uh, the, this novel is beautiful, but um, the book design is beautiful. And I know that as an author, you might not have that much input into that. I'm not sure, but it really, I feel like, I, I feel like publishing hasn't been like the place where there's been a lot of investment for some things. And I'm wondering what you know or can tell us about how this book got put together. I, I don't ever so know. Beautifully. I, I just know that there's a wonderful team at Scholastic and they and they always they always just do wonderful things. And um, because I'm terrible with names, I don't remember the, the artist who did this, but she captured uh, this is like one of the best book covers I thought because she captures the mood, the mood and yet the joy, like the, yeah. everything of, she captured it all. So okay. um, but others really- I'm gonna shout out, ready? Shout out to Hadley Hooper. Yes, and Hadley Cooper. Mar oh, this is- uh, Marika. Marika Costa? Yes, Marika yep. Costa. Nice, I mean, and seriously, it, I agree, Tanya. I'm like, glad you pointed that out. Look how smart Tanya Baker is too. <laughs> Well, the inside is beautiful too. The way that the character who's speaking's name is down the left-hand side. Um, also not to give too much away, but um, in the last part of the book, some characters who have perished in the flood also speak. And you notice on the first page that they are, their print is grayed out. It's not in black. I mean, there's so many careful considerations. So. I don't always tell people go buy the hardcover book, but in this case, I'm definitely saying this is a lovely investment. It's a it not only is this is it so well written, but it's really beautiful. I think it is too. I mean, I I think it is too. They did a Mar Marika always does a beautiful job, and um, you know, as an author, when something is captured, because I do have one or two covers that I I was like. Hmm. That's just not how I picture it. But, <laughs> but you don't really have any say, but, but Marika never lets you down and her team. It's not just her, it's her team. The team is scholastic. So well, this was lovely. Thank you to the <laughs> team at Scholastic. <laughs> thank you, Amy and Anne. Thank you, Brian, for being my partner in crime in this or letting me be your partner in crime. Um, and I, it's always my job last to thank the uh, viewers and listeners who join us. We're so thankful that you're here. Uh, we hope that you loved the show as much as we did. And that if this is new to you, that you go to nwp.org, sign up for our newsletter so that you always know when the next right time will happen and you never miss one because they are amazing, just like this was tonight. Thank you. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP.